Hey, everybody, this is Brian Johnson of SADC. Hi, this is Chuck Finales of Six. Hi, you're listening to Nancy Wilson of Heart. Hi, this is Kenny Loggins. Hi, this is John Wade. Hey, this is Martha Quinn, and if you're listening to this like I am, we're stuck in the 80s. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh-uh. And the technology. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s, and for the 500th time, it's your host, Steve Spears. And with me today, as he has been for nearly every episode over the last seven years, it's my pod mate, Brad Williams. Stephen Q. Spears, as I live and breathe, are you ready to set this aside and start prepping for episode 1000? Uh, Let's see if I can get through this episode first without turning into a bucket of tears, okay? One bucket? I'm counting on several buckets, my friend. So here's the story as we sit here at this uh, epic moment of time. Tell us a story, Uncle Steve. About a year ago, Brad and I looked at the calendar, and then we looked at each other, and then we looked at where we were episode-wise, then we looked at each other, and we said, you know, if we play our cards right, we might be able to record episode 500 on the 80s cruise. And so we reached out to ECP, those amazing people who stage the cruise each year, and we asked them, hey, if we record our 500th podcast on the cruise, do you think you could get us a special guest? And then we waited. We waited patiently, calmly. And their answer was, how about three special guests? So that's right. Mark Goodman, Nina Blackwood, and Alan Hunter, three of the original MTV VJs, are our guests for a live interview conducted aboard the 80s cruise a few weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. It was such a good time. I am still not sure it actually happened. I'm glad we have a recording because otherwise I'm not sure I would believe that this actually happened. There's so many incredible moments from the moment that they first told us that this was going to happen to the moment we actually saw it in the program, the written program. And we thought, okay, now it is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we weren't talking about it on the show on purpose because we just know, you know, things are in flux and you never know what's going to happen at the last minute. They say, hey, good news, guys. Um, The VJs can't make it, but we got you the drum tech for Starship. Larry, he's got all sorts of fun stories. No disrespect to drum techs. No disrespect to drum techs. (laughs) Don't send me your email. Yeah. We have so many drum techs who listen to the show. You never know. We've talked about this before, but there were so many surreal moments in this adventure of having them on the show. And to me, the, the big one was sitting down and trying to craft an intro to the three of them. Yeah. And I spent a couple weeks. I wrote it down in a Google Doc, and I would share it with Brad, and Brad would share kind words and you know give me advice and edit a little bit fix the verb tenses you know the usual <laughs> we thought we had something i thought we had something good and every time i read it it made me cry which that's a good sign right that's yeah that means we're moving in the right direction honestly the morning of the interview it was about 6 hours away i woke up and i'm like this is all wrong this is all wrong And I took a blank piece of paper and I sat there by myself for an hour and I just hand wrote out a whole new intro. (laughs) And I cried some more. I remember seeing you with that, with the sheaf of paper and just the scribbled notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's got a beautiful mind on me. 
Yeah. So I copy it down like 30 minutes before the interview. I copy it down onto note cards. We go down there to the uh, <laughs> the venue, and we're standing in front of the crowd. We walk on stage, and people are chanting our names. Well, one person was chanting our names. It was really all, really all it takes. <laughs> just as disturbing. So I start trying to get through the intro, and I start choking up. And I think when you listen to this interview in the first 30 seconds, just you'll, you're going to feel so sorry for me because I'm I'm like garbling my words. I'm really having a tough time getting it out. They're, they're standing 20 yards away from me, patiently waiting for me to get through this shtick. And uh, we get there. We recorded the whole thing for you. Let me ask you one quick question, Steve. Were you ever nervous at all going into this i'll give you my answer because that's why i wanted to ask the question so i could tell you i didn't have time to be nervous looking back on it i'm like i'm surprised i wasn't more nervous about it my nerves probably hit like when we first found out about it by the time we actually were on the stage and sitting down with them no it, it felt like a conversation i felt like we were prepped and we were ready right now brad does have a warning for you here I do. Now, normally, careful listeners to the show will know that we're very fond of using the proverbial one kilohertz tone when any of the swears are used. But in the interest of, uh, I don't know, just because we didn't feel like it, we did not beep out the the VJs. And there is some language that you will be uh, subjected to when you listen to this interview. So if you're in the car with your kids, listen to it later when they're not around. It's not really bad, but there's a few F-bombs, and they're just thrown in there as... You know, um, light seasoning, shall we say. Yes. So after 14 years and 499 episodes, here are our MTV heroes live on Stuck in the 80s. Enjoy this amazing conversation, and we'll rejoin you after the interview. How we doing? I guess this is our 500th podcast, and so thank you for being here. We, we started this 14 years ago as just a way to um, remember some good times, and maybe someone would listen to us, and, and here we are. Here we are. Here <laughs> it's kind of surreal. Uh, these are our special guests today. They need no introduction, but we're going to try anyway. Um, as Brad is fond of saying, when you're 14 years old, nothing in your life is more important than music. And in 1981, MTV became the conduit to the connection that we had with music. And the people that are going to come on the stage right now are the, the faces and the voices that became our older brothers, our older sisters, and they became our sages to the medium that we loved. And... Like it is here on the 80s cruise, we kind of consider ourselves a big family, right? We gather every year, we, uh, we renew friendships, we, we share hugs, we make the reconnection. So here it is, we're nearly 40 years since the launch of MTV. Our older brothers and sisters are back, the 80s family is back. Please welcome to the stage, Mark Goodman, Nina Blackwood, and Alan Hunter, the MTV family. It is. 
Okay, so what, was the restaurant closed or something? What? <laughs> Why are you... Excellent. Oh. I'm working on it. Afternoon nap it time. Yeah. I knew I loved cruises. They book us right after the t-shirt party. This is what happens. So first question. Thank, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. This is amazing. This is like, uh, you know, you think back to the 80s when we were growing up and you'd never dream that you would share stage with, you know, three heroes of, of rock and roll. Man. Well, thank you. Oh. So. Thank you for doing the show. This is like the second podcast I've ever done. Really? What was the first? Um, it was uh, uh, this wrestling dude. Oh. <laughs> Great. I hope he, he didn't touch you inappropriately. You can do, you can do the wrestling show or you can do Stuck in the 80s. Did you wear the required uniform? <laughs> he did. Okay. Uh, that's, Good call. I should have made that another question. Is a podcast something uh, on the internet? Oh, thank you. Usually. How does that work? <laughs> Usually. Did... Did you put another one on his black card, too, for me? What? Huh? Okay, we'll get to that later. Fair enough. Uh-oh. Steve has a thirst. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. Cheers. Woo-hoo. Thank you so much for being here. First question right off the bat. Set your minds back 40 years. What seems more unlikely, that you would become the faces of music in the 80s or that 40 years later there would actually be the fourth year of the 80s cruise? <laughs> Well, who, who would have ever I, imagined this was going to be a thing? I mean, it's, it's, we were talking about this with Berlin this morning. I mean, the fact that this is, you know, a cruise where bands come and play, and then they hang out, and you get to, like, talk to them in the hallway and stuff. Who, who came up with this? This is genius. <laughs> I will say, I, look, I never, I, I didn't understand, none of us did what MTV was going to become when we got the job. I was just glad to have a job that, you know, got me some new clothes and uh, I wanted to be a Broadway actor and it paid me more just by a couple of dollars than that. So we didn't know MTV was going to turn out to be what it was. We did not know, I think, any of us out here and more importantly, probably the bands who have enjoyed the renaissance of the 80s over the past decade, right? I mean... I think it's an unusual decade, one of the more unique decades, not just because we love it and we're partisan, but we're all now... Because we're stuck in it, right? (laughs) We are not stuck in it, okay? It's a good title, by the way. We want to be here. We want to be here. We move forward. If we were stuck, we wouldn't have gone past one year on this damn cruise. So here we go. Onward. Okay, so I, I have to think that you guys get endless invitations to many concerts... By, from the bands that we love from the decade. Are there, are there artists today that are impressing you with what they're doing now? Um, what, I, let me put that a different way. What are the artists? Who are the artists that are impressing you now? Well, somebody that I think is, has impressed me enormously, not quintessentially um, an 80s artist per se, uh, but Robert... Is that what you were asking, 80s art? No, he's asking about current artists. No, 80, no, 80s artists. 80s artists, are 80s artists doing artists stuff today. Who are still doing stuff today. Oh. My kind of canonical example would be Duran Duran. As I was saying, <laughs> Please. if I can get a full phrase out with these two, we'll be lucky. As I was saying... Man, already starting here. Wow. Oh, is it true? Is I'm sorry, it, Nina. It's, it truly is nap time for Nina. <laughs> Nina, I'd really be interested in what See, you have to say. Love and Nina, I'd, I'd love to know what you have to say. <laughs> What do you have to say, Nina? Brothers. It's why I'm happy I'm an only child. <laughs> no, they're my brothers, and I love them, even though they drive me nuts. 
Uh, but what I was saying... Um, You're going to say something about... <laughs> Mark, stop. Go ahead, Nina. All right. He's not quintessentially an 80s artist, uh, but I love what he's doing, and he's a perfect example of a, a true artist that has grown, uh, Robert Plant. I mean, he's amazing. I wasn't really a Zeppelin fan of uh, the stuff in the 80s, you know, with the honey drippers mm-hmm. and all that. I liked. But what he's doing now, uh, the sensational shapeshifters, and I was even talking about his looks. You know, he's, he's embracing his artistry and also getting older. You don't see the Botox and the... And he looks like a, you know, a wizard doing this wonderful... Well, he does. Yeah. Lord, of, Lord of the this, Rings, Game of Thrones, so, he's got to do a cameo for sure. So that's, that, that's who I'm that's a good answer. really impressed. Thank you. That's I got, a good answer. I got that's to answer really something. Answer. <laughs> yeah. Let, everybody, let's hear it for Nina so she feels good about the rest of the day here. Glad she got it out. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Is it Mark's turn? Yeah, Go ahead, Mark. Mark. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, 80s really, artists really. doing what, great what, music What do you think, Mark? Sorry. 80s artists doing great music today. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> I'll go. You too. Come on. I mean, uh, I think they've, they've managed to, say, to stay relevant all this time, certainly the top of the box office or top of the touring you know, uh, ticket sales. But I, I yeah. still think that Bono, even if he's on a permanent hiatus, we don't know right now. I don't think they are. They'll get back. Nah. But I remember uh, my one anecdote about Mark and I sitting in the dressing room early on, 1981, watching new videos. And uh, we were given a three-quarter inch tape of this new band from Ireland. And it was I, I Will Follow, I think was the song. Yep. And, um, and I'm, my arms crossed said, I don't know. I don't like the shirt he's wearing. <laughs> Oh, God. It's kind of fancy for me. <laughs> and Mark goes, oh, they're going to be big. These guys are going to be huge. And I was like, nah, nah, nah. What do you know? <laughs> Mark knew better than I did. But, I mean, just how uh, to, to be relevant in ways beyond music, too. I mean, certainly the powerhouse that Bono is, the life force that he is, but the rest of the guys as well. But to even crank out a, two albums in a row in the past two years that anybody listened to or bought or um, unwillingly received on their iPod. <laughs> I just think U2 is one of the greatest. That and probably Peter Gabriel. I don't know if it's an artist of the, uh, the 80s, which Peter is not, but he's still he's, relevant. But he's not, he's not doing anything. <laughs> no, no, but he's still relevant in the world of technology. And, and his, his Sting tour was good. Yeah, shut up, Mark. Just shut up. You're ruining my day. <laughs> we were saying he's not doing anything. <laughs> Just it's cuts like, me down whenever he can. Is that what you can. like about him? He's not doing anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. I said I'm you so too. I'm so sorry. Answer. You have to see this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is solid gold. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't look. We haven't interfaced on the trip yet. This is the first day we've ever done anything together. So you're catching it fresh. We got to work some shit out. I'm telling you, some familial stuff coming out now. It's no. deep, dude. Oh. It's deep. I'm so angry. <laughs> you got everything, Mark. And Nina was always prettier than me, so there. Angry. Uh, I, I think a good call, Duran Duran, yeah. These guys, and uh, I think the Pet Shop Boys also, in that same sort of vein, who are doing stuff that they, you know, they, 
they're doing similar to what they did in the 80s, but it doesn't sound like they're rehashing the 80s. Um, I feel like we just caught up to the Pet Shop Boys finally. You know, I think those guys are really, really doing really cool stuff. They've done some great remixes. And and Duran Duran, too. I'm really impressed with what they, they do these days. I love the Pet Shop Boys. I don't think I discovered them until maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. And then I went back and visited the whole catalog, and I right. was surprised how, how much... Everyone just thinks West End Girls, and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> so much more. Hey, what they did for Dusty Springfield yeah. is oh, oh, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. They revitalized their career. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It was really nice, really great. So we're also known as the trivia guys on the 80s cruise. We always do the big 80s trivia. So we have a trivia question for you. Uh, is there projection involved, yeah. Steve? Don't you understand... I don't even know what color my socks are. You think I can remember the fucking 80s? <laughs> it's a softball. It's a, you know, we get abused in the streets all the time. People coming up, hey, man, you kn- but you don't remember what the second video on MTV ever was. <laughs> really? No, I really don't. Do you? I mean, I get it. You know, let's test the VJ's knowledge. It's, it's not- foggier than you might want to know. It is. <laughs> I think that's You Better Run by Pat Benatar, right? Yes. Oh, good. That is correct, sir. I know know the last song. I know the last song that played on the first day, which was uh, Lonely Boy. See, I wouldn't have known that. Wow, I I didn't know that. Andrew Gold? Nice. So that was the last last song at like 11.58? Yeah, really? Did it start start in the last 23rd hour and then went over in the last... Someone wrote on a Facebook page, I think for Sirius... And they thought this was a good question. Hey, what was the last video ever played by VJ on MTV? And I was like, what VJ would you be talking about? I mean, does anybody have a definition for the last VJ? That'd make a good documentary. Who, who was the last VJ? <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that is a good question. The last I VJ. I do not have an answer. This is the actual question, though. Okay. Oh, oh I forgot. It's your podcast. Sorry. <laughs> Because when we do shows, it's our show. Make yourself at home, Alan. Yeah. Oh, you, you have. I'm on the air. <laughs> I'm okay. on the end. You guys can go eat. You know, that would be lovely. We'll handle it from here. <laughs> what is this podcast? Okay, here's the question. It's, it's a two-parter, kind of really. These five songs have something in common. Uh, Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield, The One That You Love by Air Supply, the theme to The Greatest American Hero by Joey Scarberry, uh, I Don't Need You by Kenny Rogers, and Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. What do they have in common? Drums. <laughs> Not what we were looking for. Not Do the list again. Do the list again. Jesse's girl, okay, the one so that you love. It's eighty-one. The one that you love is like eighty-two or something. Okay. You're on. You're on the right track with the theme from Greatest American Hero. I don't need you by Kenny Rogers. Wasn't that the late seventies, Greatest American. Hero? Was that eighties? That was eighties for oh. sure. You're getting, William Cat. Yeah. Kenny Rogers. I just like to say this is not trivia, okay? Yeah, this, this is, is what's like, the connection. Here's, here's the, it's a, okay? it's a producer. trivia, maybe I got a shot and at. what's the other one? On, uh, Elvira by Oak Ridge. Let me ask you, was Elvira. it a behind-the-scenes person? Was they it like a producer? To something? They were the top five songs on the chart on August 1st, 1981. 1981. Oh, I knew Jesse's Girl was number one. And none of them had a video on the first day of MTV. Well, that's why we didn't know <laughs> the answer. Yeah. yeah. If we couldn't see it, it didn't exist. So, I mean, so the question is, the follow-up question, obviously, how quickly do you think, in your minds, did MTV change the way that people listen to music and how bands charted, you know, on the billboard? Oh, man. I, I mean, 
In, in terms, I, I guess, I mean, in terms of that's the sort of thing that everyone could, everyone around the country could see, uh, it, it probably took a, a couple of years, I think. Um, but we, in the first six months, as we would go out, they would send us out on, uh, you know, to do appearances and things. And we'd go to, you know, I went to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and um, in the first year, and... Woo! No, really? <laughs> Cheyenne in the house. <laughs> all right. Um, and, you know, like all of the, like a thousand people turned up at a record shop to see me. I, I couldn't believe this, and neither could the driver. Uh, so uh, so what, the point is that we, we started to see results early on from the stuff that we were showing, that people were going to record stores and buying these records that had been off the shelves for Duran Duran is a great example they had been, the first record uh, had been off the shelves for a year so we started to see that but I think the, the real change was when it started to affect like by 83-ish 84 when it started to affect fashion you know people were dressing like Cyndi Lauper or Madonna or Pat Benatar yeah. well I was uh, my, funny my wife the other day was I don't know if she ever heard the story of how I got the audition or how I got Why the job. She said, how did you get the job at MTV? I don't remember. I know. She's younger than me. <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't listen to your interviews? I know. She doesn't listen to my stories because I rehearse these anecdotes she at read home. The book? It's so boring to her. Honey, I'm going on to the cruise. I got to get these things <laughs> rehearsed and practiced. Alan's wife didn't read the book. Yeah, I know. Alan's fucking wife didn't. His wife <laughs> didn't read the book. She is really intelligent. I'm serious. I put, the, I put the book on her nightstand, and for months it went uncracked. And I said, you're going to read the book? She goes, love you, honey. First time on the cruise. This is what this shit's all oh, about, oh, baby. Oh, Elizabeth there. <laughs> Who's here on a little marital uh, fix, you know, a little second honeymoon, a little... No, look, uh, briefly, I mean, yes, we all, came from, we all came from all walks of life. Mark was in radio. JJ was, you know, in radio forever. Nina was an actress like me, but had, you know, had hosted some shows. Uh, and, and Martha was a musician, was, actually, musician. to clarify and, it. So, uh, look, I, I, I don't know why they hired me, except they had hired all four of them. They were coming down to three weeks prior to the air, August 1st, 1981, and they didn't have the fifth VJ. And they just said... Just hire the guy. Hire anybody. the blonde guy. We need a boy next door. We got Mark. We, got, we had all these different looks, all these geographic uh, demos covered. We just need the kid. We need the kid, and we'll deal with it. Six months into it, they were still sweating over me and my trying to get the hang of it. Mark and I were not, um, you know, we, we kind of uh, stood apart from one another. It was an uneasy piece. It was an uneasy relationship. <laughs> He hated him. Because Mark was... <laughs> and then we got better. But no, it took me a while uh, to ramp up, and then it was kind of an overnight thing. It finally switched on for me what they wanted. We had a producer who said, Al, just be yourself. And it's like, I don't even know what myself is. What does that mean? I'll tell talk? you what happened. I, I think what happened... Is this the puppets? A, finger were, puppets? No, yeah. I won't even get into the fact that they're stupid fucking finger puppets. <laughs> No reason for that on a rock and roll show ever. Um, as as MTV sort of grew and as we started to do more and more things, um, they I think that they wanted different things from us. Um, and 
you know, my thing was to, um, I, I love music. I'm going to be passionate about music. I'm going to want to talk about music. And not that Alan didn't, but Alan, you may have noticed, is a bit of a joker. <laughs> He's a bit of a, you know, I want to fuck around and act crazy. So Alan really, I think for the second half, like for, you know, I don't know, 83, 84, you know, or 84, 85, 86 before we left, was the guy because he could go to, to spring break and he could be nuts and act crazy with, with all the kids who were down there and he could do a muck in America and be on this crazy cross-country car trip with this wild girl and, you know, it's speeding through toll booths and stuff like that. And that's not what was, what was expected of me. What's that? Miss Hawaiian Tropic. I've, I've read the book. Again? Maisie so, yeah. or something. Not Maisie. That's Martha's kid. Do we really want to go back there? <laughs> Her name was Rosie, and I choose to forget. Rosie. You guys remember, you remember a muck in America at all? A little bit? A couple of... Okay, smattering. A little golf applause. Born to be wild. That was our theme song, Steppenwolf. So, yes, t- to Mark's point, we were all hired... After a while, we all had our own lanes and our own... Paths. Mark and JJ were the, the, the musicologists. Nina was what Nina was. You know, she was the actress mime. <laughs> no, she was. She was Nina the mime. Was the video vixen yes. and the, you know the passionate woman. Martha, you know, was the sort of the, the girl next the, the, door. Kind of the girl next door. But I mean, America's sweetheart. And Alan was was the idiot. No. <laughs> and who made more money at the end, Mark? Let's see. Wait, Wait a minute. No, Whoa. No, even it's all right. I've already gotten over that. <laughs> no. Are we, we going to have a Mari than, Povich wait, moment here? Better than Alan Hunter making more money than me at the end? We had the same agent. <laughs> I'm like, really, dude? You couldn't have got favored nations for the guy? Give me a, throw me a freaking bone here. How he loved me more, my friend. But, but to, to the, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I forget which question you ask, by the way. It really doesn't I'm matter. I'm just saying, throw us the bone and we'll keep it spinning, baby. Uh, but the evolution of MTV was after 84, 85, 86 in the prime years and after things started to evolve and we all started kind of moving on elsewhere, MTV changed from a video jukebox because it started to lose its luster. And they, they, then MTV became more about people's lifestyles and what you liked beyond just music. That, that's why Spring Break was tons of fun. That's why Remote Control, the game show, came on. So you loved watching videos, but you didn't want to do that all the time now. You wanted to watch specialty shows. So that evolution meant that the five of us kind of moved on, but that was sort of my forte at the end of my time was doing those kind of crazy, nutty things. And uh, as it should be, you know, people ask nowadays, isn't it terrible what happened to MTV? And I go, well, one, I don't really care because I got a life. (laughs) And uh, two, evolution. You know, that was normal and natural for it to move on. But it went for, because you and I, even though I wasn't on FM before, we had the same, I think, the same idea of what I know I wanted it to be WMMS, which was the number one Cleveland um, AOR station um, in the country. And that's what I thought it was going to be. You know, when, so when it changed, I had already gone when it changed, really started changing. But you How's that? Is that a good answer? That's good. Next question. So Bohemian Rhapsody brings back... Imagine interviewing us. What a fucking nightmare. I know. (laughs) Yeah. 
Back in the day when you dreamt of these idols standing before you. <laughs> to think I, I wanted to be, be. Back in the Did 80s, you I ever think. Back in the 80s, I wanted to be an accountant. And just, I, I don't know how I ended up here. You're thinking, God, I should have done thinking, that. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Right now, his whole life is I best. suck at math. Yeah. We all make choices. So the movie Bohemian Rhapsody comes out last year, and it refocuses um, our attention on a, a real seminal event of the 80s. And I know a lot of people myself included, kind of consider Live Aid to be sort of the Woodstock moment of our generation. My, my question to you is, do we over-romanticize Live Aid, or does it have its proper place in history? I don't think it's over-romanticized at all. I mean, it was a very serious problem, and I thought it was a wonderful uh, thing that uh, Bob Geldof got all these people together uh, and there were no egos. Remember that, say, in the back, well, except for Al. But, uh, but I, I, you know, if you're talking about the song, that leave your ego at the door that Quincy right, Jones yeah. put in there. I didn't do your the ego, song, Nina. For We Are the World, you're talking about. Yeah. yeah that, well, the Live Aid, too. Everybody was hanging out. You know, you'd see Bill Graham hanging out. But um, it was so powerful for all these people. Wonderful queen, of course, that was the epitome of, of their uh, performance career. But getting together to actually help the world. And there are smaller uh, things that still go on, like the rainforest benefits, and like Bon Jovi was down doing something for the Everglades. But something on that big of a global stage, I wish there were more of them. You know, well, sure, it was the Woodstock of the times, though, and it was, but it was a lot bigger because of the, the outlets, the distribution of it. It was worldwide. That's, that was planned from the beginning. Woodstock was what it was musically, but very centralized or very located. And wasn't doing any good for yeah, other and they people. Really, their, their aim was not you know, anything more, more than just a great music mm. festival. So I think Live Aid, one, it was MTV's grown-up period stage when MTV... And I don't think I remember exactly how MTV got involved. I mean, Bob Geldof started the whole thing rolling. So it wasn't MTV just having a social conscience. They saw it as a really cool thing. But they did see it as something cool to be a part of. We had gathered people together for four or five years, the youth of America, and why not Pied Piper them into a bigger, better cause? I mean, regardless of where MTV's heart was at the time to do it, 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 was, a, it was a grand thing on an epic scale. Well, MTV actually wasn't part of the organization. It was just a, well, yeah, it was of being just a the, broadcast. The major outlet in, the, in, the United, in North America, in, in the United States. I mean, over-romanticization, over if that's a word, I don't, I don't think so. It was, it was a really amazing moment. And I guess Bohemian Rhapsody kind of romanticizes that performance. But I, I think part of the reason that we romanticize it is because of U2's performance that day, Freddie Mercury's performance that day. Um, f- although it was, was shocking, Dylan that day really starting Farm Aid by saying, I wish that some of this money would go to American farmers. Um, there were so many things that, that happened that day. And, and I know for us who are in Philly... We really did feel like we were a part of something. Yeah. We really did. And um, I think that the people there did as well. Um, and, I mean, it really was, I think it was like a social, cultural high point well, for, for the, the w- music business. Yeah, and by you the know, way... That we got a conscience. Not, and look, George Harrison had done it before with Bangladesh. and things. It's not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not like it, it was a brand new idea, but it really was, as Nina was saying, so 
so massive and, and so amazing that it was everywhere and and that people got it together to have it happen so I, I think it's I, I, it wouldn't happen today I don't think I don't think it, anything on that scale could happen you ever mean Kanye again Kanye West wouldn't do something like that for himself, yeah, for himself. <laughs> the Kanye West but to this day I mean it still continues I don't know how the organization stands now, nowadays but the totals were like 250 million dollars raised over all these many decades three decades so it, it, it did substantial good you know, for that cause over a period of time way beyond it. But Freddie Mercury did not, like, go to his parents' house and come out to his parents and then go over to his boyfriend's house and, you know, have breakfast and do all that other shit in the movie that he did on, on the day of Live Aid. That did not happen. That was not real. Was, Along with a number of other license. things in that movie. Yeah, a lot. Th- these, people have said that the 80s are the decade where hope and excess existed uh, side by side. In fact, I think Billy Idol says that in his book. If, I agree with that. If yeah. Live Aid is the hope, was the Us Festival the excess? <laughs> you were there, right, for Us? Yeah, I didn't I go to that. The second one for 83, I was there. I didn't go. Are you saying a, a success, excess, or... Ex- in excess. Ex- excess, as excess. in... Excess. As in something Nina accuses me of being in excess <laughs> at all times. No, gotcha. that's... It was only Van Halen that was excessive at, at the Us Festival, I think, <laughs> in the year that I was there. They, and they made made show of it. It was all right. I think it was perfect for the times. So you meant like excess of everything uh, because, I mean, the drug use was very excessive. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yes, Alan. This is this is. I've got to say this. It's a podcast, Alan, Nina. It's a podcast. We can talk about these things. Yeah. Too. You know, at the time. And I saw him maybe drink something. The book comes out, and it has Alan, like, oh, yeah, I was doing lines with David Lee Roth, and all of a sudden, it's like, I was so innocent in your eyes. I'm sorry, it's like your little brother. You thought I was innocent, didn't you? Sweet little angel that I... But so the excess was definitely um, the drug use at the time. I mean, that was really... um, Sadly, you know, a lot of people aren't even with us because of that, but... So there was, that was the downside, I thought. Of Let me just say this. I, I, don't know not, what, yeah. I don't know what the hope was, honestly. I mean, yeah. we, were, we were, you know, it was President Reagan, and the trickle-down economics was not working, and people, and greed is good was the philosophy, and, and there was a lot of people who were, who were hurting and were being hurt by, by that policy. I think that, you know, the hope, if there was any hope, it was that, that this would pass. <laughs> Yeah, when, when I, I think the illusion of the hope, and now we're all going to leave all bummed out, but, but our music and, and MTV, the video music, it was all positive. You know, it was very rarely down. And then you go into the 90s, and you have, which I like. It's, it's even more grunge. party. Well, there's yeah. grunge for two years, and then, yeah, then and, it's like Blink-182. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. Uh, but, but you didn't have a... Um, artistic growth period where you did uh, in the 80s, and I think that was a hopeful thing. You well, know? I, look, I would say that MTV absolutely started the downfall of one-hour attention spans, which Mark is good at you know, pointing out what MTV created. But we I were, don't think we did that. You know, I, I'm saying that MTV... Come on, can you guys pay attention to something for longer than two minutes? No? All it's right. A, it's a cliche. I stand corrected. Yeah, there you go. I saw somebody dozing off just now. <laughs> if well. this was a TV show, you wouldn't doze off. 
But no, look, let's, the 80s was about excess. It was about entertainment and bangly and fast-moving and Miami Vice and colors. That began the, the climb into all of us wanting to be bedazzled by entertainment nowadays and distracting us from what was going on, what Mark was saying. The end of the decade was starting to not look so rosy anymore. And MTV had provided a distraction, perhaps, for some things. Uh, it was the go-to place where everybody went by default when your life sucked that day or whatever. It was MTV as things started to come on the horizon in the late 80s and also sort of distract you. But it was, it was the beginning of distractive entertainment, you know? When times is hard, music is what we need. That's why music is so important right now. <laughs> right? We turn to entertainment. Okay, I got one for you. So there's a fan petition you might have heard about to induct the five VJs into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've heard about it. What was your initial reaction to hearing the news of that petition? How much will they pay um, us to I go would just to like the to, event? <laughs> I, I got um, I, I to do something. I don't know if, if anybody is here in the room, but there's a couple of people who listen to me on volume on Sirius XM. Okay. Who, thank you. And I know, I know there's a couple of people who, who listen are here. And one of our listeners from my show, Debatable, a guy named Matt Guido from New Jersey, started that petition. Oh, wow. And what did I think about it? I was, I was blown away and, and amazed, and especially because he's continued to run with it and, you know, get like, he's trying to promote it and stuff. And, we're like uh, 15 you know. or 16 people now that have signed this damn petition, and I'm, we're, I'm very we're, hopeful. We've got a few thousand. There's a clipboard up front. The thing... <laughs> We will pay you like it's American on, Airlines points to sign that thing. It's, it's on, uh, come on, that petition's greater uh, good. Change.org. Change.org, yeah. It's, it's there. I mean, I, we would love for you to do it. I, part of the thing happened in that the, he sta- started this petition, and there's nothing specific in the rules at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that says, you know, if you show up with a petition of, you know, 10,000 people or 50,000 people, that will induct you into the non-performing right. part of the rock hall, but I think it, look, it would know, be I, a, would be cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, it kind of, I have a little bit of Southern boy humility about it. I'm a little uh, Wayne's World. We're not worthy. I agree. Which part? We can't be inducted individually, my friend. We go as a team, or not at all. All right, you get in, I get in, and I'll drag you along. If I get in, see the family issues coming out again. I have no idea. I think that if it happened, it would be very interesting. I, I can't imagine denying it or momentum for us getting in. If, if it's the will of the people, <laughs> I'll go. But do we deserve it's a strange, it? It's a strange category at the Rock. Yeah. Thank you're you. A little, you're a little Thank partisan. Thank you. God, that is amazing. Thank you. Go out. Make it happen. It really is. We probably need to raise about fifty thousand dollars, though, don't you? To is that the Hollywood no, Walk of Fame? That's, that's for the, that's walk, the of walk of Fame. fame. That's, you know, that's you what I want to be on. Pour a block of cement, and yeah. you know all that that's stuff. The mayor has to be PR, there. PR, yeah, you know. marketing. That's fifty thousand. Write the check. We could raise You're that in. shit right the, over there right now on a clipboard. Let's yeah, go. The non-performing people in the Rock Hall. There's not that many of them, but like I don't think the Wolfman Jack is in there. He's in there. Yeah. He, he's Man, in there. Dick yeah. Clark. So we should be in there then. I don't know. Why not? <laughs> I was I was embarrassed. Was the was the, the proper response? Yeah, well, but what would be our performance that night? This shit right here. <laughs> no, <I> man. 
I'll make oh, sure Steve up. and I are available. Shut up. No. <laughs> Little Steven would, would read our names. That's the way that it goes. Wow. wow Steven. Cool. Who should induct us? Simon LeBon, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's always a cynic. <laughs> we know how you feel about us getting in now, don't we? Let, yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. It would be a good person. Oh, you said, boy, you know, my head went to George Michael, and I thought, what is this guy? Oh, that's just wow. Funny dude. Too soon. Boy, George. And That's why you are not worthy to be in there. Exactly. <laughs> what, uh, what, what do you think uh, J.J. would have said to that honor? He would have loved it. I'm sure he would have loved it. Yeah, I think he would have thought it was really cool. And in the case of J.J., um, because he was our elder statesman, I mean, he was... He was helping to break uh, Zeppelin in BCN, WBCN. J.J. Jackson was the first person in the United States to play Led Zeppelin on the radio. J.J. should definitely be in there. Whether or not he was a VJ, J.J. should be in there for his work on radio, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, On the podcast, we have a tradition. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a good one. But we call it Podcast Time Machine, and we have uh, listeners who've been listening for the last 14 years. They write us in with a story about something that happened to them in the 80s, and if a time machine existed, they would want it to use it to go back to either relive a particular moment or fix a particular moment. If we were to offer you a seat on our Stuck in the 80s Podcast Time Machine, aside from declining to be on this podcast today, <laughs> what would you use the opportunity for what would you go back to either relive or to to change of the 80s ideally in the only 80s. back into that decade you, unless you have a better story that's before the 80s no that is a hard one let's uh, let's hear the ticking clock now <laughs> while the VJs try to come up with something witty to say <laughs> My, I don't know. You know, I don't. I try and live no regrets, so I don't think that there's nothing I would go back to try and change. Oh, would there you, is there something there, you'd go there, back to, there, to there, see there again? Was, to see again? Yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to think. I mean, there's, I, there's great moments that that have happened to me. Um, you know, meeting Paul McCartney and sitting down and talking to Paul McCartney. So that's a moment that I would love to, you know. That would be my heaven to just sort of be there and do that over and over again. Have him get you a table for dinner. Well, he. Oh, you did read the book. I have read the book. <laughs> okay, better than his There's wife. There's a personal. <laughs> There's a personal situation, but I don't want to share it. But totally. there is there is one one thing, okay. and it's per- do, huh? it's personal. Yes. That you're not going to tell us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine's probably more philosophical, to be honest. I actually uh, was talking to a young person the other day about, you know, this person said Mr. Hunter, to which I was like, oh, you do that again, I'm going to smack you. But I did say something about not taking things for granted. If I could go back probably to uh, the day Mark and I looked at each other after Martha and Nina and JJ had all departed from MTV around 86, something like that. And Mark and I were the last ones left, and we were standing in the hallway, and we were thinking, man, the writing is on the wall here. But we were both kind of at that point, and this is not hubris, it was we were asked to stay on longer. You know, we went to sign 
some more years with you guys. They, they must have said, why did we get rid of Nina and JJ and Martha? What a mistake. Um, but we said, how long can we be VJs? Maybe we should move on too. And I think we kind of arrogantly thought there was this big life ahead of us. After MTV, we moved to L.A. and become much more famous than we are. Because cable icon is about here. Hollywood star is here, you know. So I think that I thought the, I didn't have to work for it. I thought it would just happen for me. I think to this young person the other day, back in my time machine, when you have a great gig, really plot the future of the next good gig. It's kind of when you got a job, look for the job. But I just thought it was all going to be kind of cake at that point, you know, 29 years old. And I wish I had really started to use that platform that we had. Although I will say occasionally we did. This is sort of the... The big wigs had us under their thumb. Each of us had projects we tried to start, whether it was in the film business or a new TV show or something, and it was difficult because the, the powers that be. So are you saying us. that you would have gone back to that day, the day that we both quit together and not quit? Yeah, I would have just left you ass in the, in the dust. <laughs> yeah, man, I think you should quit. We should both quit. <laughs> I'm not quitting. No way. I had two more years to go on a contract, and I, I should have just kept that. No, I think I, I think I I think I just kind of flirted away the last year of my time there, uh, thinking it was all going to be rosy, and I should have really plotted the plan, either to logically say to you, man, we just need to hang on another year and get the next gig going. Uh, don't just quit and think it's all going to happen. So don't take things for granted. That would be my really not cliche piece of advice. I got I one last go thing back. to say, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Oh man. Thank you. Thank you. Here's to the 80s cruise. Rock on. Thank now, you, guys. Round of applause for these guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, get it. And so there it is, 500 episodes of Stuck in the 80s, thousands of memories, tens of thousands of blog posts, Hundreds of thousands of friends around the world who have downloaded, listened, and reached out to, to us over the years. I have to say, one question that I was so happy to get their answer to was when we asked them about Live Aid and whether we over-romanticized it. I will go to the mat for the three of them now for saying, no, you're not over-romanticizing Live Aid. If anything, you're under-romanticizing Live Aid. Yeah, I feel like they may have misinterpreted the meaning behind my question. We, Brad and I both consider Live Aid to be probably the pinnacle of the 80s movement. and But we've also been uh, cognizant of the fact that we may have it wrong. Like, like, are we in an echo chamber here? Yeah. Are we right. just echo chambering our own ideas back and forth? It felt good to have our position validated. Yes. At the end of the day, I, just, I really want to thank Nina, Alan, and Mark for taking the time to sit down with us. It was just awesome. There are so many other people who deserve our thanks. First, uh, my colleagues at the Tampa Bay Times, where this podcast was born, for supporting this project for nearly a decade until I left for Orlando. The first two producers we had, Brendan Watson and Dave, the maestro Morrison, they got the ball rolling. Everything I know about editing the show today, I learned from, from Dave Morrison. And, of course, all the early co-hosts we had back in the day, including Gina Vivanetto, Kathy Wass, and Sean Daly. And then there are today's guest hosts that make every episode better, including Just Drew, Gail in D.C., Dr. Dim, and especially Jen with one N. And I can't say this enough times. This podcast would not be alive today without the 
the help, the support, and the friendship of Brad Williams. Brad, you are my comrade. You are my partner, my brother. I can't imagine this journey without you, nor would I want to. Oh, Steve. I've been practicing my interviews, though, and I, and I want you to know I, I'm just happy to be here, and I hope I can help the podcast. Look, joking aside, if you, gentle listener, think the show is fun to listen to, believe me, it's 10 times more fun to record them. And, and I really am just – I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the chance to help keep this thing going. It's been so much fun. You are one of my closest friends. And as I've said before, the canonical answer to the question, can you really make friends with people online? That is, that is dear to me. And to you, 80s Nation, thank you for keeping the dream alive. And by that, we mean our dream, all of us together, one family. Your letters of encouragement mean more than we can possibly articulate. We cannot be prouder to stand with you during the good times and to offer a shoulder to cry on during the bad times. In this family, we support each other always. 500 episodes of a podcast has taught us all a few things. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Nothing is more important than the music you listen to when you are 15 years old. Let's keep the fire burning. For lack of a better phrase, let us save a prayer. Let us burn out rather than fade away. Let us cherish every breath we take. I want to sing a Beatles song from a parade float in downtown Chicago. I want to dance with somebody. I want to have faith. I want to cut foot loose. I want to fight the power. I want to go to a place where nobody dared to go. I want to stand outside a girl's house with a boombox over my head and play the song In Your Eyes. And while I know that every rose has its thorn, the 80s taught me this, I still want to know what love is. That being said, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to forget about you. I don't want to let go. And though I know I'm growing old, I don't ever want my heart to die. Thank you, 80s Nation, our 80s family for listening, for believing, and for 500 episodes staying hopelessly stuck in the 80s.